0: Jim Hunter, um, my wife and I, my wife Karen and I work with the a marriage ministry here at church, um, so we love being a part of this body. Um, I hope we can just kind of maintain what was going on, you know, before, before, we, before the band left the stage, um, and I know that's hard to do because there's a lot of, uh, we, you know, there's a transition here, and they call it transition for a reason, but But we're going to go into uh, meditating on his word. And just uh, so I hope that we can focus as much on him and his heart um, as we do that, um, uh, as we were were during worship. So um, I'm uh, on the the stage today. Next week, Van Cochran, our senior leader, will be back up here. And um, in November, we're going to do another mini Series on identity. You know, we've been going through Matthew uh, following the king, but every now and then we break it up with some mini series on different topics. So we're, in November, we're going to do identity. Van will be up here next week um, bringing the message. But this week, we're going to go ahead in Matthew, like we've been doing. Um, <clears throat> last week, Jordan Pelfrey, our student revival pastor, did a terrific job on the end of Matthew 11. In the beginning of Matthew 12. I told him that I think that part of Matthew 11 is maybe uh, my favorite scripture passage of all of the Bible where Jesus invites us to come to him and find rest. He says we can take on his burden and because his burden is light, we will find rest for our souls. So it's a, <clears throat> it's a powerful invitation that's always there. Um, but Jesus um, was inviting people in the context of his teaching um, at the end of Matthew 11. So if you haven't had a chance or you, you missed last Sunday, although I know Michelle saw it online, but um, if any of you didn't see it, um, please go back and, and check that out. But um, this week we're going to go into chat, continue on in chapter 12, but let me, let me just pray a second and then we'll get rolling. <clears throat> Jesus you are worthy of it all, <laughs> Lord, as we fix our eyes on you, you, you do you captivate us, you draw us to yourself, you unfold your beauty to us, and um, we're so grateful that we get the opportunity to to behold you that way that you you, you want us to behold you even more so God, just draw our hearts, keep drawing our hearts to you in these next few minutes as we're, we're looking at your word. Speak to us, just envelop us with your presence. We want to hear your voice. Amen. Mm-hmm. So we're in <clears throat> chapter 12 of Matthew, verses 15 to 21. I'm calling uh, the message today, The Power of Being Chosen. And um, we'll explain uh, the reasoning behind that in a little bit. But let's just go ahead and start with reading the passage. Verse 15 says, aware of this, and I'll stop right there, because you have to ask, okay, what is Jesus aware of? What is this that he's aware of? Well, it goes back to the last verse of the passage from last week that Jordan had, and you may remember Uh, in the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus is kind of taking the Pharisees to school, so to speak, on the Sabbath, what the Sabbath really means, what the rules around the Sabbath mean, how to practice it, how to really engage with God in the Sabbath rather than just engaging with rules. And um, it was probably a little embarrassing for the the Pharisees because um, they were supposed to be the experts and here they were being shown as... Uh, being on the wrong side of of uh, the understanding of the Sabbath. And so the last verse of, chap- of uh, or verse 14 of, from last week says, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Okay, they were that upset about it. Okay, it wasn't just a little debate. They were so upset that they plotted how they might kill Jesus. So as we start this passage, verse 15, being aware of this, of this plot, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him. He healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And then these next four verses are a direct quote from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verses one through four. Here's what it says. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, (laughs) the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out." till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So again, why, verse 15, why did Jesus withdraw? Um, He knew that in, in the story that he was living out for God, the assignment that he had, this was not the time for him to confront the Pharisees. um, Basically, he knew that confronting the Pharisees ultimately would lead him to to go to the cross, and this is not the right time. There would be a right time, clearly, he knew that, but this was not the right time, so he left that area to reduce the likelihood of a confrontation, to reduce the likelihood of them being able to implement their plot to to kill him. Um, That leads us to point number one, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing, okay? Um, this, is, uh, this has been true um, for s- since time began, and yet this is very difficult for us to believe sometimes, wh- especially when we're the ones who know the right thing to do. <laughs> um, it could be in a relationship, it could be a, ca- a career choice that you know you need to make, Uh, It could be buying a house. It could be disciplining your kids. There could be a hundred different ways where you know the right thing to do. And so you feel perfectly justified in doing it because you know what's right. And yet, if it's the wrong time, then it's not right. It's not the right thing if it's the wrong time. So um, I don't know where your kids are in life, but um, imagine that they were teenagers and um, you walk into the house and the te- your teenage son is at the table, some friends are around the table, they're having a snack. And then your spouse takes you aside and said, do you, know, do you know what Junior did today? It was terrible. It was disrespectful, blah, 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 blah. And it was something that you've talked about before. So, you know, this is something that really deserves discipline. Um, and so you may be perfectly justified that, yes, this is the right thing to do. I need to discipline this guy. But barging into his group of friends right at that moment, calling him out, making him stand up, and then do whatever discipline you're going to do right then, that might be the wrong time to do the right thing. And then if that's true, then, then that's the wrong thing to do. And you can't stand back and say, well, I, I did the right thing. No, if you did it at the wrong time, you did the wrong thing. So there's, there's, you got to have some humility even when you're perfect, which obviously us is, <laughs> but if you think you're perfect and you say, I know this is right, still humility would say, okay, it's the wrong time. So it would be wrong if I did it right now. Um, and that's actually, so the same principle, uh, in verse, uh, 16 where it says he had just healed, uh, tons of people. And it says, he warned them not to tell others about him. So um, this is the same kind of thing. And it it crops up in the Gospels at different places where Jesus would do this amazing miracle. People would be amazed. And then he says, oh, don't tell anybody about this. Or, you know, let's just keep this between you and me, that kind of thing. Um, and we read that and they think, well, wait a minute, wasn't Jesus, if he's... The savior of the world, shouldn't everybody know? Aren't we supposed to make disciples who make disciples? Why why would anybody want to not uh, spread the word about him? But again, it's this idea that the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong time. Um, A great biblical example of this is King David, who was anointed uh, to be king of Israel at a pretty young age. Uh, we think probably somewhere in his teens. And um, it was years and years and years before he actually became king of Israel. And he had opportunities along the way to take the throne. And for that entire time, he knew that the right thing was for him to be king. And everybody in his circle that saw the prophet anoint him knew that that, that the right thing was for him to be king. But he knew that if he were to take that throne before God gave it to him by removing the other king, that that would be the wrong time. So he was patient. He was willing to wait and wait and wait. And ultimately, God um, brought that through, brought to fruition the prophecy and his anointing, and, the, and he became king. So he was willing to practice this principle of the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Um, another guy, uh, an example from the history of our church, way back at the beginning of our church, when we were at the Y, we, we played a very important strategic role in planting a new church down in Guatemala City, Lavinia, Guatemala. Um, and uh, the guy who was leading that effort, Emilia Lopez um, was in our church and he shared that he felt very, a very clear calling from God they at that point they were in Los Angeles they were in a thriving church in Los Angeles they had he was a a businessman and um, he felt this clear call from God to go to Guatemala City city and plant his church Um, but his wife did not get the message about that (laughs) she was not on board as she was dragging her feet and It was, I think, a number of years before uh, she finally said, you know what, yeah, I think this is the right thing to do. Um, And then they went, then they planted this church. And I was just checking with Van again that that church is still there um, in um, part of the vineyard in uh, Guatemala City. So uh, there's just, call it humility, call it sensitivity, call it um, just... um, uh, whatever it is that's hard for men, <laughs> um, it's, what, it's what you need to put this into practice, that the, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. So that's the practical reason that Jesus withdrew, um, and yet there's a prophetic reason that's going to become clear as we look at the rest of the passage. Um, as I said, what follows in the, the verses 18 to 21 is a quote from the Old Testament, and it's actually one of four passages in the book of Isaiah that we call the servant songs. <laughs> the servant songs. Uh, there's Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and then 52 into 53. What these are, they were passages in the Old Testament where God was saying... <laughs> There, he was saying, Israel, you're suffering now, but I am sending someone. I am choosing someone and I'm my servant who is going to come and things are going to be made right through him. Um, you are going to be brought through the suffering into victory through my servant. So these passages gave incredible hope to the Jewish people uh, during that time while they were waiting for the Messiah. Um, it gave him encouragement, you know, God has not forgotten us because we have these prophecies that there is gonna be somebody that, that's gonna come um, and save us. And Matthew, more than all the other writers, uh, we've talked about this in the whole series of, on Matthew, following the king, he more than, than Mark and Luke and John wanted to convey to his readers that Jesus was this Jewish Messiah that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And he was the Jewish king and that they'd been waiting for. And so he sprinkles references to, uh, to Jesus calling as king throughout the book. In fact, this one here, which is from Isaiah 42, is not the first time he's, he's brought this into his gospel. Back in chapter eight, he, there was a reference, just one verse from Isaiah 53. So he sprinkles these in to tell the readers of Matthew that Jesus is the one fulfilling these prophecies from the Old Testament. Now, um, I mentioned they're, they're, they're called the servant songs. When you, when you look at them in a collection, sometimes the servant in these passages is called the suffering servant because the passages talk a lot about the suffering he's gonna have to go through. Um, Isaiah 50 mentions, uh, it says this, The servant speaking, I offered my back to those who beat me, (laughs) so I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard, (laughs) oh my gosh, that gives me the shivers, pulling out a beard, okay, I'm I'm looking at David Weitzel right here, I don't think (laughs) you want somebody to pull out your beard, brother. I know, I know, even when my grandchildren start picking, you know, at my five o'clock shadow, I get a little nervous. Um, But, so the servant said, I offered my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And then Isaiah 53, um, this is a a famous passage. You may, if you uh, went to a Christian school or you were in Sunday school growing up, you may have memorized some of these verses when you were young, um, (laughs) he was despised and rejected. He was, speaking of the servant, he was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. He took our pain, he bore our suffering. And then the classic verse about the gospel, um, all of us like sheep, have gone astray, but Jesus took on him uh, the iniquities of us all. That's in Isaiah 53. So, um, so there's a ton of suffering that is in these passages, but even with all that suffering, there's hope because the promise is that the, the servant's assignment will end in victory and exaltation. Look at some of these passages from those from those uh, same sections of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 42: Till he has brought justice through to victory, in his name the nations will put their hope. Isaiah 49: I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 50: The sovereign Lord helps me. Isaiah 52: he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. This one I love, Isaiah 53, a After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. I, to me, that's just a wonderful, a wonderful picture of between the cross and the resurrection. You know, he, Jesus goes to the cross. He takes all the sin of the world, takes it to hell... He's buried, he goes, takes it all to hell, but while he's there, he sees the light of life. He sees his rescue, he sees the resurrection coming. He sees the light of life and he will be satisfied. Um, So it's important, I'm I'm going, giving you this background because it's important to see that while there was suffering in all these promises, there was also the uh, the hope of victory at the end. Ultimately, this servant's race would end in victory. So, now looking again specifically at our passage for today, um, when Matthew says that this was to fulfill prophecy, he's referring to this action of pulling back from front, front, the front place, Pull, pulling backward, to, more to the, to the back of a line, withdrawing a little bit, to pull back from the confronta- confrontation, dialing down the, uh, the, the confrontational atmosphere. It doesn't mean um, uh, when these verses say that you, know, you won't hear his voice, it, it's not prophesying that he will never speak up, he will never speak with a loud voice, uh, he will never shout. We know that he did that, uh, especially in the last week of his life when the time had finally come for that confrontation with the Pharisees. He was very bold. Um, but it means that, that he, he doesn't have to draw attention to himself. He doesn't have to win social media wars. He doesn't have to, uh, um, I think he doesn't have to celebrate when he makes the touchdown, or he, he doesn't have to taunt the other team. I mean, he celebrates, but he doesn't have to taunt the other team. He's not going to get any unsportsmanlike penalties for taunting, that kind of thing. That's what this means by his, his posture of, of, um, of just slowing down and withdrawing a little bit. So that leads to uh, point number two, which is similar to point number one. Let me get my scripture back here, excuse me. Um, Point number two is sometimes the way forward is to step back. So that's similar to point number one, but the the emphasis here is on the upside-down nature of the kingdom. We talked about following the kingdom. If you want to win, you have to be willing to lose. If you want to be the leader, you have to be the servant. If you want to be strong, you have to embrace your weakness. Uh, Your dependence on God that's that's what the kingdom of God is like and Jesus taught that over and over and over and so what he's saying here is that sometimes the way forward is to step back that victory for Jesus and he knew victory was in his destiny but victory would come through humility and surrender not through um, just running roughshod over the enemy and knocking them down um, at this time so he needed to pull himself off the road. There's a passage actually in um, John chapter six, right after he's fed the 5,000. And uh, it says, Jesus knowing that the people intended to come to, uh, and make him king by force, he withdrew to a quiet place. He, in other words, they were so excited about this miracle and it was clearly a miracle Uh, of amazing proportions, but they were so excited that they were going to come and make him a king by force. And he he said, no, that's not how this is going to happen. I'm going to become king by humility and surrender. So so next question I want to ask though then is how did Matthew know to put these things in the Bible uh, at at this point? Um, How did he know that these things applied to him? Well, there's a couple of ways he might've learned this. Obviously, um, the the scripture writers were receiving uh, inspiration from the Holy Holy Spirit every time they had the pen in their hand, but even more directly than that, we know that at the end of uh, Jesus' time on earth, so this is after the resurrection, but before his ascension, he had some meetings with the disciples, and in one of them, um, he gave them their own kind of master class in Old Testament theology. He, he, just, he downloaded everything they needed to know. This is in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to, to 48. Um, he said to them, "'This is what I told you while I was still with you. "'Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me "'in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms.' "'Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures.' He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So notice Jesus at the beginning of this passage says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. So even before the cross, he had been saying to them, hey guys, here's what's gonna happen, especially uh, at the end of his ministry when he, had, when he had turned to head towards Jerusalem, said, look, I'm gonna die, uh, but I will be raised uh, on the third day. He told them several times about that. Um, and basically, um, what I picture is uh, the disciples at the end of a teaching day um, you know, sleeping around a fire. They're getting ready to go to sleep. And Jesus is just telling them, you know, all these details. And he said, look, you know those Old Testament passages? Or he didn't call it Old Testament. You know, the, from the Isaiah scroll, those, so, those servant songs? That's me. That is me. I am the guy. That's why I can tell you with confidence that this is, this is going to happen. And if you've seen the, um, the TV series, um, the chosen, okay? Um, we've talked about this before, but Matthew, um, in that series at least, Matthew more than any of the other disciples is depicted as the guy who's always taking notes, right? He always has a clay tablet and he's scrawling some things on it. So I imagine he was taking notes that whole time. So that would be another way that he knew that these passages applied to, uh, to Jesus. <clears throat> but the point is... Um, Jesus knew that these passages applied to him, and he told the other disciples about it. Another way, um, it's not entirely clear um, exactly when Jesus knew everything about himself in terms of what he, that he was God and when what he was going to was do. We know from very early on he did, but... Um, There was extra confirmation for this right at the beginning of his ministry when he was baptized. And this is earlier in the the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." Now, does that sound familiar at all uh, to anything that we've read today? Because our passage today, uh, Matthew 12, verse 18, says, here is my servant whom I have chosen, <coughs> excuse me, the one I love in whom I delight. So the God, the Father, in pronouncing at Jesus' baptism that Jesus was um, the one he loved, the one with whom he was well-pleased, he was basically quoting Isaiah 42 for, for Jesus and for anybody else that could hear uh, the voice. So uh, that would have been another confirmation for Jesus that, yeah, okay, this is me. This is my destiny. I'm, I am that guy, the servant. So... When we're given promises from the Bible that apply to us, they have amazing power. That's what I want to finish up here with for the, for the rest of the message. It's what I'm, <clears throat> what I'm calling the power of being chosen. So Jesus knew that he was chosen, and this is very important. He told his closest followers that he had a destiny to carry out an assignment from the Father, an assignment that involved involved suffering and hardship but would ultimately end in victory. I I believe the conviction that he was chosen uh, and that these promises applied to him gave Jesus amazing determination and steadfastness and power to obey to the end. So later on, Excuse me, a second. Later on in the story, it becomes time, Jesus knows in the story, for him to go to Jerusalem and confront the Pharisees and be crucified. Um, and there's a point in all four of the Gospels where things shift and Jesus starts to move toward Jerusalem. But in, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, particularly, it uses this language that he turned his face resolutely toward Jerusalem so he didn't just think well maybe maybe we should head up there no he said this is the time I know what I'm doing and we are going to Jerusalem so believe, believing that he was chosen is what gave him the power to do that and not waffle when when the time came as we know now look with backward glasses we can see hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus because he went at the exact time that he did, not before and not later. And so he knew this is, I'm the guy and and, um, these promises apply to me, so I'm going to go do it. Um, Being knowing that he was chosen, being chosen um, Jesus was able to stand up to the Pharisees in that last week uh, in uh, the temple when they were challenging him and challenging him. And he was saying, yes, I'm, I'm the guy. You are wrong. I am right. And they were getting angrier and angrier and angrier by the moment. And he could have just said, okay, the, the, you know, it's getting too hot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow out. Or maybe, maybe next year at Passover, you know no but he said no this is it i'm going through because he knew he was chosen being chosen enabled him to put other people's interests ahead of his own and this is this is amazing to me but in john chapter 13 on on the night that he was betrayed they're they're in the upper room having the last supper and it's, and jesus It says, knowing three things, knowing that the Father had put all things under his power, knowing that he had come from the Father and knowing that he was going back to the Father. In other words, knowing that he was chosen, he got up from the table, took off his outer robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and washed his disciples' feet. On the night before, he was going to go to the cross. So <laughs> he had to know this is going to end in victory. This is going to be painful, but it's going to end in victory, which is why I can do that. I can minister to these guys' needs um, and not really uh, reflect on my own needs right here in this hour. Being, <clears throat> being chosen enabled Jesus to finish well, even when he agonized in... Um, the Garden of Gethsemane over what lay ahead. It enabled him to endure the torture he suffered on the way to the cross. And finally, being chosen ultimately enabled him to go to the cross and give up his life. You know, even at the, even at the last moment, he could have said, Okay, forget it. Father, I don't want to do it. I'm out of here. But no, he said all the way through, all the way through the crucifixion. So for Jesus, there was amazing power in knowing that he was chosen. Now, so Jesus was chosen, but you're saying, what does that have to do with with you and me? Well, here's the thing. It just so happens that if you are an apprentice of Jesus, you are chosen, okay? Uh, whether you just gave your life to Christ at the end of the worship service when Jocelyn was, was leading us or you've been a follower of Jesus for 70 years, uh, anywhere in between, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, you are chosen. Look at these scriptures. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. John 15.16, this is Jesus speaking to his uh, disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. In Ephesians 1, 4, for the Father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world <laughs> to be holy and blameless in his sight. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You chose us. So when, when God created you, before he created you, when he was just thinking of you, just looking at you, he chose you and said, you're a part of my family. Um, That's why I mentioned the TV series, The Chosen, before, and one of the things I love about just the title is the many layers of meaning to that expression, The Chosen, because Jesus was the chosen. We talked about that. Certainly the disciples, the followers, and the main characters in the show are the chosen. But you and I are also the chosen. So we can consider us as part of, in that role when, when, uh, when we're watching that show and when we're reading these scriptures. So when you were young, were you the kind of person that was chosen naturally? You know, when sides were picked for games or um, you know, to go to birthday parties, things like that. Were you the kind of person that was chosen? Um, I, I really wasn't. I wasn't very athletic. Um, I was just slow and clumsy. And so for things like Red Rover or uh, all kinds, I just, I just couldn't do it. Um, there was even um, kind of the, the climax of my uh, childhood uh, agony was, um, I must have been 11 or 12, and I went to a summer camp. And the first night there, this get to know you thing was duck, duck, goose. And I'm, right away, I'm thinking, I, I'm like 11 years old. Why are we doing duck, that, that should be like three-year-olds, right? So, but we're doing it. And so we're standing up in the circle, and in my memory, there's like 100 people in the circle, but there's probably like 50. Um, so somebody goes around, goes around, Then finally I get tapped, Go around, I can't catch the person, so they take my spot. Then I go around, tap, and the circle is so long, I cannot outrace anybody back. On and on and on, like five or six times. Finally, I don't even know if there was what I would call an adult in the place, but whoever was in charge finally put a stop to it. I said, okay, let's do something else. I said, yeah, let's do something else. So because um, that was just not my strong suit. So, but whether you were one of those chosen kids or not, you are chosen by God if you're a follower of of him. So um, uh, that should bring encouragement to us. He saw us, he created us, he formed us, chose us to be in his family, to be on his team. He picked you out of a crowd and said, you are mine. So I want want you to ponder the significance of that for these last few minutes, because this truth can have the same power for us that it had for Jesus. Jesus knew that he was chosen, and because of that, he knew that at the end of his obedience, victory was waiting. For us, being chosen means you're on the winning team. It means your race ends in victory. Here are a couple promises just from scripture about that. God promises that the journey will end well for his chosen ones. Luke 18, seven says, and will, Jesus is speaking here. He says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? And this is in the context of a parable about praying and not giving up. So the theme here is if we're chosen, we, we can persevere and not give up. Uh, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So when he chose you, he began a good work in you. That's the idea. And he promises that he will finish That work he will finish it you don't have to finish it he will finish the work that he started um, uh, in you when he chose you so here's some ways that that looks like in real life say for example um, it's it's parenting the kids are going crazy uh, or it could be uh, finances you're at your wit's end It could be that um, relationships that are important to you are are breaking up. Uh, Stability that you had once in your life seems to be crumbling. Um, Whatever kind of struggle or hardship, uh, if it's feeling overwhelming, being chosen means God says, keep going, you're going to win. You're going to win. When we feel alone, because nobody did choose us. Being chosen means God says, I like you. I like being with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. When we feel abandoned or rejected, being chosen means God says, you are important and valuable to me. When we feel aimless or purposeless, being chosen means God says you have an important job to do on earth, something that only you can do. I need you. Um, I think you're all aware that if our assignment is on earth is done, um, God can take us home to be with him, uh, or which is a nice way of saying he can take us out. Right, He can take us out at any time. He doesn't need bodies just taking up space on the earth. If your assignment is done, he can take you out. So the fact that you woke up this morning is proof that you still have something to do, that something that God wants you to do. Um, So keep that in mind. Jesus, the purpose for you is not finished if you're breathing, okay? Um, when we feel like a failure, being chosen means God says, you're still my child, I still love you, I'm still pleased with you. That failure that you just experienced did not cause my love for you to dip at all. That's why it's called unfailing love, right? We, we might fail, but his love does not. His love, it doesn't go up when we're good, it doesn't go down when we're bad. His love is unfailing the entire time, even in the midst of the failure. And th- this is one that I struggle with. It, can be, um, it could be sin in my life, or it could be I'm forgetful, and I make an appoint- appointment with someone, and then I realize that, oh, I've made it with someone else. I have to cancel something, so I disappoint someone. Um, it could be that um, I had a good plan, I thought it through, it made sense, I had the counsel of others that said, yes, this is good, but I did it, and it, and it didn't work out, and it failed, sometimes that happens. So failure can come into our lives in a lot of ways, and, and so I have to keep coming back to, the, to this conviction, this promise, I am chosen, and I hear God say, Jim, I'm still pleased with you. That failure doesn't diminish my love for you. I still love you. You're still my child. So when we can hear God saying these truths, then um, we can keep going and not give up. So let's um, let's kind of wrap this up here. And um, I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to do some things. Um, and... Again, I, I, uh, I want to emphasize this, the fact that we're chosen. This is not like a participation award that, that sometimes people get. You put it on your, your uh, shelf just by showing up. It's not something you get just by showing up. No, God chose you and, and gave you very specific reasons for being here. Uh, I mean, we all have the, the reasons. We're, we're called to fill the earth and subdue it. We're called to bring the kingdom. We're called to uh, make disciples who make disciples. But there is something very unique and significant that each one of us is called by God to do. So so I think there's three groups of uh, people that, that God was highlighting to me, and we'll just pray for those and wrap up. One of them is you know that you're chosen so this isn't really a new idea you know you're chosen but you've you can easily lose sight of the fact that your 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 race ends in victory you can fall prey to the to the gloom that oh maybe this just isn't going to work out <laughs> and so um, you need the encouragement of this promise that your race will end in victory or um, some of you uh, have never really heard him say those words that I delight in you. You are the one I love in whom I am well pleased. Um, that's, that's powerful and God's saying that over you all the time. But um, unless you believe you're chosen, you may have trouble hearing that. Um, and then some of you, I think of this because of my age, some of you, you might feel as though you're past your prime. Um, and that, again, you don't have as much to contribute anymore. But again, as I said before, God says he laughs at that. That's one of those lies that um, we can laugh at. I don't have anything to contribute because your beating heart is all the evidence you need. You have something to contribute if your heart is beating. So, um, so why don't everybody just stand up. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to um, speak and touch. <clears throat> So, God, Lord, we invite you to just uh, be present, make your presence known in our hearts. And um, whatever the truth is that each one of us needs to hear, God, just speak that right now. Um, Break off lies that we don't have anything to contribute. Break off lies that this is going to end in defeat, meaninglessness, meaninglessness, um, break off lies that that you are not delighted with us, um, that you don't love us. We just release the grace here, Holy Spirit, for you to move and impress this on our hearts. Only you can uh, renew our minds uh, with truth, so we ask you to do that, God. Lord, just let us go, um, let us know not only in our heads, but in our day-to-day walk and in our hearts and our beliefs that, that we are chosen by you, and that has power to help us uh, carry out the assignment you give us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, thanks, everybody. You can go get your kids, and uh, we'll see you next week.